Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome, welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Uh, happy Tuesday uh, to you and yours. Happy day after Monday, the day before hump day. It is Tuesday. And I'm so glad you've made the right decision to join me and us on this journey for maybe about an hour today. Uh, I've got a great fire starter, great show planned for us today. Uh, Royce White and Shamika Michelle uh, will be here, as well as the Korean Cosell, uh, Steve Kim. We'll, we'll wrap up the show uh, with Steve Kim discussing uh, Steph, Curry, Steph Curry's place in the NBA pantheon. Is he one of the 10 greatest players of all time? The Warriors had their uh, victory, their championship parade uh, yesterday, and so we thought it would be appropriate to discuss Steph's legacy now that he's got four NBA championship rings. I'll do that uh, with uh, Steve Kim toward the end of the show, uh, but before that, I got a discussion I wanna unpack with uh, Royce White and Shamika Michelle about I, I got a lot that I want. I want to talk about a marriage that has transpired between black voters and the Democratic Party. And so let me start this fire, uh, and then we'll invite uh, Royce in to fan the flames. He'll be followed by Shamika Michelle. And then we'll, you know, you guys can hop in the comments and give your thoughts, particularly if you're watching on youtube.com slash Jason Whitlock. Make sure uh, you're in the comments, leaving the comments. Make sure you're hitting the likes and the subscription button. Make sure you're out recruiting uh, for this fearless army. I'll be there live in the chat discussing with you as well. I'm sure Shamika will be there as well. Uh, so uh, let's get this party started. And then, you know, we'll have a little after party where, you know, we talk amongst ourselves. All right. <clears throat> the political left has been planning the wedding of black people to the LGBTQ movement since the days of Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. Bayard Rustin, a gay man, helped uh, organize Dr. King's March on Washington. Huey Newton, the national leader of the Black Panther Party, argued as early as 1970 for an alliance between black people and gays. In the last two decades, American academia exaggerated and elevated the profoundness of the writing of James Baldwin, a gay novelist in the 1950s. During his second term as president, Barack Obama gave black voters permission to drop the religious pretense, come out of the closet as bipolitical, and be supportive of same-sex marriage. At the close of Obama's presidency, black people were officially engaged to the LGBTQ plus movement. Post Obama, three black lesbians, the founders of Black Lives Matter, 
married black people to the LGBTQ community, forming the BLM LGBTQ plus alphabet mafia. Now, gay is the new black. We're the mascots, the internationally recognized symbol for the gay movement and all forms of biblical sexual immorality. Yesterday, uh, my fearless colleague, Delano Squires, texted me an internet billboard promoting a drag queen story hour as an event celebrating Juneteenth, the newly federalized national holiday celebrating the end of celebrity, of slavery. <laughs> Not the end of celebrity, slavery. Uh, the poster references Juneteenth and of course includes a reference to Black Lives Matter. Is there any other racial ethnic group as closely aligned to the gay and trans community as black Americans? What does Juneteenth have to do with drag queens? Nothing. The underlying message is black people are connected to drag queens and gender dysphoria. We're mascots for the alphabet mafia. This is the deal black political elites have cut. New York Mayor Eric Adams symbolizes the bargain that has been made. Since last Wednesday, Adams has been tweeting up a storm about Juneteenth, LGBTQ issues, and drag queens. As of early this morning, 17 of Adams' last 30 tweets related to Alphabet Mafia issues. So let's understand this. The mayor of America's largest city is obsessed with race and sexuality. Adams is the second black mayor in the history of New York. He's a former 20-year New York police officer. He grew up going to church. He previously supported Louis Farrakhan's vision of black male masculinity and self-responsibility. New York has a multitude of high-profile issues, including a rise in crime. But somehow, 11 tweets about Juneteenth and six about sex and or drag queens. Eric Adams' priorities are not in proper alignment. Neither are his values. Eric Adams, like most black political elites, is a dragged king. His allegiance to leftist ideology has dragged him away from his values. Here's the tweet that kind of got me started. I think this was on Wednesday when he tweeted this out. Drag storytellers and the libraries and schools that support them are advancing a love of diversity, personal expression, and literacy that is core to what our city embraces. That was kind of at the beginning of his tweet storm about LGBTQ drags and, drink and Juneteenth. Black people are locked in an unholy political marriage. We swore matrimonial vows to a movement that directly contradicts biblical values. You guys remember, you've been to a wedding to have, to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, until death do us part. Well, let's, let's, let's go look at the scorecard. In general, we're financially broke, mentally and medically sick, and dying in the womb, at the hospital, and in our communities. The marriage, to progressive ideology and secular values is killing us. We've had to abandon everything we say we believe 
to remain loyal to a political ideology that has not improved our condition. The political left define who we are and what we believe. The regime now requires us to serve as the mascots for gays, trans, and drag queens. I'm not homophobic, but I'll never support men dressed as women reading books to school children. That's grooming. I'll never support biological men competing in sports against biological women. It's not fair to women or girls. I'll never support surgeries or puberty blockers that stop young girls and boys from developing naturally. That's abuse. I'll never support same-sex marriage. It's inconsistent with what's taught in the Bible, no different from how my previous promiscuity made me an inappropriate candidate for marriage. I'm a Christian. I'm not going to abandon what I believe and join a movement that violates my beliefs because a narrative has been spun that puts us in direct opposition. A narrative has been spun that opposition to leftist values is anti-black. I'm not wearing the clown suit the left has stitched for black people. It's a wedding dress. I don't wear dresses. Eric Adams does. Mm. Uh, that's my fire. Uh, I just want to add a little gas to the fire before I bring Royce into the conversation. I made these generalizations about black people and, you know, we're broke financially, medically, we're medically sick, we're dying in the womb, uh, we're dying in hospitals, and we're dying in our communities. That's a generalization. And uh, there's a bunch of black elites that will go on MSNBC and CNN, oh, don't you generalize? And, and they're speaking for elites because they're disconnected from working class black people. They're disconnected from working class people in general. I'm not. I'm not speaking for elites. And yes, all the elites, many of them, uh, uh, and again, I say this with no negativity. Anybody that knows me knows I got no problem with interracial dating, none. But many of these elites that are on TV, black elites, they're married to white people, and they're out living a completely different life than the stuff they're talking about on TV. Completely different. From Katanji Brown, what are, I can't even remember her last name, the Supreme Court Justice and her white husband, Camilla Harris, who's 25% black, and her white husband, Colin Kaepernick, who's half black, half white. We don't, again, half white and half something else we don't know about, Arab, black, whatever. And his white Egyptian girlfriend, They're all talking about something that they're divorced from. And I'm not saying all of them, they've all been bought and paid for and, and don't understand the reality that they're, they're selling you and working class people down the drain, down the toilet into a life that will never be prosperous by attaching you to this progressive leftist ideology this do, that does not serve you and does not improve your life. And then they'll demonize someone like me who has stayed true to his Christian values that get framed as conservative, but they're just Christian values. 
I've tried to stay true to them. And again, am I a sinner? Hell yes. Hell yes. And I don't say that bragging. I'm just saying that in being honest, because I don't want anybody that knows me in a real way to be like, well, hold on, man. I used to hit the club with Whitlock. I know his ex-girlfriends. I've been to Vegas with Whitlock. Again, I'm a sinner, but I held on to my values even while doing a little, a lot of debaucherous stuff. But as I, I applied my Christian values to my life approach, and it's helped me to attain some level of success and certainly self-sufficiency, self-responsibility, and the ability to help myself and others in my family. And all I'm trying to do is turn back around and tell people, this is what I did, this is what you need to do, adopt these values, fall in line with the values consistent with American culture and tradition, and you too can make it in this world. There are values taught through Christ, through Christianity, that uh, render racism powerless. People that, it, it will make people that may not like you, like you, and at least respect you, and be willing to work with you, and be willing to promote you, employ you, loan you money, invite you over to their house, live next door to you. But if you want to adopt all these progressive values, and all of this immorality that goes along with progressivism. There will be people, black and white, who won't want to employ you, who won't want to promote you, who won't want to live next door to you, who won't invite you to their house because they don't want to be involved with that BS. They don't want to be involved with that lifestyle that leads to poor conclusions. It's no different. I used to get mad because, look, I used to, I'd holler at anybody back in the day in my more secular life, I guess, or more sinful life. I would holler at anybody. But if a woman told I don't do fat dudes, I wouldn't get offended. She got a right to be like, hey, I don't, no, I don't do fat dudes. She has a right to, to say that and to have those preferences and tastes. Just like people have a right to say, hey, man, if you're going to bring that garbage lifestyle and mentality to my neighborhood, I don't want you in my neighborhood. I don't want baby drama mama or baby mama drama in my neighborhood. I don't want my neighborhood filled up with single mamas with kids that aren't properly supervised. That's not racism. That's a preference. All right. Before I go any further, I think I'm going to bring in Royce White and uh, let him add uh, to the conversation. Uh, Royce, uh, welcome back to the show. I, 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 the, the little poster that I showed uh, set me off yesterday when Delano sent it to me, and I'm just like, how did we, as, as black people, become the face of the LGBTQ movement? 
do, do, how, how did that happen? Can you help me understand? Absolutely. Um, I think black people are lost in the wilderness politically in this country. And it, it, it basically stems from the, the greatest lie we've been told and, and bought um, that our freedom, uh, our civil rights, our prosperity here in America, our American citizenship, for lack of a better term, is, is inextricably linked to uh, an ever expansion of government. That, that without government, without a benevolent government, without benevolent politicians, corporations, institutions, so on and so forth, we could never hope to have access or achieve the American dream. And that is really what what seeded the territory and, and carved the path for all these other faux ideologies to to, you know, blind us to what the fundamentals of Americanism is. And, and we have a, a terrible sense of what the core American values are and how they work to our advantage. We've been we've been the victim of an info war in that way. Um, and, and your American citizenship at bottom fundamentally suggests that nobody is in, is is charged or mandated with the security of your freedom or your american rights you as an individual are charged with your own security and freedom and and because of our history we were kind of phased from not having access or equal access to american rights in the beginning and we skipped the stage you could say of understanding american rights in the traditional sense and were brought into a phase where we are permanent wards of the state and although the left likes to pretend like they revere people such as James Baldwin, who would, you know, uh, traditionally be seen as on the left of the spectrum, uh, he, he cautioned against uh, black people being seen or, or looked at as permanent wards of the state. And, and 60 years later, that's exactly what we've become. And it, it was a it was a, a pretext for the state to to make everyone a permanent war of the state. We are now expanding the black welfare state to the broader racial spectrum of people in, in the working class. So, Royce, you said something, everything you said I, I really loved and enjoyed, but you said something that I slightly disagree and I want you to clarify. We skipped basically the understanding of American values. I'm not so sure. Did, did, did we not abandon our understanding? Because I think previous generations uh, knew exactly what America and, and fought. When I think of black people fighting to participate in World War One and World War Two, that's like them saying, no, no, we want to fully ante up and guarantee our American citizenship by anting up and sacrificing our lives for a cause that we believe benefits America. No different than the Union soldiers did during the Civil War. And so, and, and again, I think of the Civil Rights Movement as, as basically Martin Luther King and those guys arguing in that time, like, no, we want full American citizenship. We want the right to be a man and to provide for our families. We want to be full American. And no, okay, well, go ahead. Tell me. You, uh -uh. Yeah, no, the 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 um, participation or the desire to have participation in the armed services in the 30s and 40s in the World War One and World War Two may have been an example of a spark of of nationalism or national honor, national pride in the black community. You could say you could also say the same thing around the Civil War times when we were uh, conscripted to, to help the Union fight in that war that but but also our circumstances in both situations economically, politically were so dire that we were kind of 
in a no choice position to, to participate in both of those conflicts. Um, the Civil Rights Act was a complete scam. The Civil Rights Act was the ushering in of us becoming permanent wards of the state. And that in no way was an example of us embracing an American, a traditional American uh, core values understanding, because a core values understanding would have went more along the lines of a Malcolm X, who at the time wanted a separation between blacks and whites. But but the idea that Malcolm was prescribing was that if we're not going to get equal rights underneath a government uh, underneath our government or institutions, we as black communities need to secure our own our own rights. And it starts with two things, sacred honor and faith. And the sacred honor are the values and the ethics and the morals that you live by and are also willing to die for. That's the ballot or the bullet. That's the by any means necessary. That's the, uh, you know, bare arms rifle clubs matched with not to be divorced from a faith in a higher power, higher ethic, uh, God, which which really is fundamental. But but securing your own freedom was a Malcolm X approach. Martin Luther King, no disrespect to him. He was a profound man, wanted the government to secure his freedom. And as as that happened, the government and the institutions tied to the government, which make up the corporatocracy, hijacked the civil rights fight, hijacked civil rights and merged civil rights with government, with government expansion. And now you have Nike, the NBA, uh, Google, um, uh, uh, Walmart, all synced up into a global corporation of which they're going to send ideology down from the top all the way to the community. And mm. it's not an American uh, ideology. Uh, and it's not an American ideology. It's a globalist ideology. And so you stand by that we've never had, not individuals, but just in general, we've never had a full understanding of our American values and what it truly means to be an American and how to succeed. Absolutely. Not, not only have we not had that, the, the, the deep state, the, secu- the, the security state actually made a, a concerted effort to kill, silence or other all of the black leaders who had the opportunity to introduce us into that more traditional American view. Now, again, every individual has the the uh, the opportunity, you could say, through their own journey path in their mind to find these ideas and the core values and the and the value in the ideas for themselves. But what Christianity solved and this touches on the abortion issue a bit, but I want to use it to show something. Um, The real gift that we were given from God is historicity to have history, to have, to be able to keep account and accord. And, and that allows us to perfect ourselves over time, which is why the Constitution is great, because it allows an amendment of itself for a better version in the future, which they want to get rid of because they don't like history. They like a relative history that they can change whenever they want. But what the Abrahamic faith did, Christianity, Judaism, the, the combination of the two, it introduced uh, a, 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 a turn from a barbaric culture. Abraham goes up into the hills, into the mountain, and he comes back and he, and he was going to sacrifice his son. And God tells him, we're not doing that anymore. Uh, th- there is no longer child sacrifice because when you when when you practice child sacrifice, you lose a sanctity of life and, and you have barbarism. And I say that only to to frame how history allows us collectively 
to become better. It introduces us to ideas. This was Aquinas in the Catholic Church that the Logos is not only the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit combined with man's thought and understanding perfected into a Christian path in the physical realm. Um, and, and Augustine spoke on that as well. Um, so not only did we never have a time where we fully understood and embraced American values or core American ideology, but it was actually subverted in black communities intentionally by the security state at, at times. So I'm going to hammer this or ask this one more time because I'm sitting here. You're giving me, as you always do, a lot to think about in real time. Frederick Douglass, Booker T. Washington, these guys were both seen as the leaders of the black community during their time. You don't think, at, and again, as the leaders, they didn't have an understanding and didn't promote uh, black Americans to fully embrace American citizenship and the values that lead to success in America? Frederick Douglass, absolutely. And, and there have been a few black leaders throughout history who understood it. My point is that there's been a concerted effort by the institutions that preside over us to keep that understanding from the broad spectrum of American black American citizens. That's the, the most the, the thing that the establishment, the globalist establishment fears the most, maybe in the entire world of politics is for a strong contingent of black people to embrace and understand their American citizenship and then be willing to fight, die, vote and purchase according to it. And, and, and that so, you know, Fred, Frederick Douglass is is only tacitly revered as a hero in, in any depiction of political uh, framework in race. I mean, yes, his image is there. But they 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 hijack his story and they make it seem like it's some leftist progressivist, uh, uh, you know, uh, iconology. And it's really not. He was as American as it gets. And, and he was Christian. You could tell by the way that he spoke and the things that he said. But they never acknowledged that. And, and so ex post facto, you can tell how they they disregard the true American black leaders like Frederick Douglass in the current. But even back then, they were pr pretty quiet, I would say, on. On, on just how profound Frederick Douglass was and, and the meaning and intention of his words. Um, we've been infiltrated, right? We've been infiltrated by communists since the late 1800s, you could say. I mean, so, you know, th this thing is a this thing is a 110, 150 year war that's taken place with with the, the security state, global global governance and, and many other institutions. So. And again, I'm just because I find this fascinating. Booker T. Washington. I'm a huge fan. I love the whole cast down your bucket. I, I thought he got it, understood it. I felt like my father's life was patterned after. And, and I'm not even sure if my father understood the Booker influence on him. But again, the whole mentality of like, hey, man, you can complain about this, that and another, but you're better off doing for yourself and building something for yourself right now where you stand, cast down that bucket. And that's the actual path to the American dream. And that's what he founded schools, businesses, and all of that. And he, to me, they used W.E.B. Du Bois and others to discredit him and like totally, high schools all around the country and black communities were named after Booker T. Washington. And now they've kind of they've disgraced his name or portrayed him as a guy that, you know, made peace with racist white people. 
and, and basically all he did was tell black people, man, quit worrying about them and do for yourself. And trust me, it's all going to work out. Well, it's the same exact thing that Malcolm tried to preach. He said, why are we still uh, talking about what white liberals or the, or the government, white, white politicians will or won't give us when we're still stabbing each other in Harlem? And, and so the, the greater issue with black America is as a, a byproduct of being lost in the wilderness politically, uh, that that loss of national identity. Um, we were we are forced to fall back on our spiritual identity. And that's been attacked as well. And that's where this LGBTQ agenda really comes uh, uh, to, to, to foster and foment chaos in a very sinister way. And, it, it, you know, we as black men, we understand and we can feel uh, that the overt symbolism that's trying to uh, feminize black men, but it's really attack on black women. This whole LGBTQ movement is an attack on black women through de uh, demasculation. What they're trying to do is they're trying to leave black women and all women. This and this is the entire feminist movement has a, a unique effect in the black community for the black woman. But they're trying to leave black women isolated in psychological chaos. That's what this whole deal is about, because nation building, the, the, the mechanism of nation building is central to a nation's survival, to a nation's strength. And if you can misappropriate gender, if you can disincentivize childbearing or childbirth, you have fundamentally attacked a nation at its most, at, at its most uh, bottom root. Uh, and, and, and also psychologically, I mean, women are in a psychological crisis. There is a full blown crisis of femininity as a byproduct of not understanding that America is not some borderless nation where anybody can come and go. We're, we're not the protectorate around the world. We are a nation with sovereign borders and sovereign borders place physical constraints on man's uh, lack of wisdom and his, his, his lustful ambitions and keeps us anchored uh, in a way that's meaningful. And when you lose that, you have chaos. So what is your reaction to my contention that, and, and I don't even, it's not even a contention, my statements about from MLK to Huey Newton to Barack Obama, there's always been this LGBTQ connection. And what, what's your understanding of, of that history? And do you think, I almost think it's like, it's a requirement of the left. If you want acceptance in the left as a black man, you have to jump on board with the whole LGBTQ mission and statement. I think you're 100% spot on. Uh, the, the LGBTQ uh, movement has always been laying in the shadows, and now it's, it's completely out of the shadows. And its intentions are, you know, the, the intention is to use black people as a stopgap. All of these black folks believe that all of these organizations that want to pair up with our history and our fight for civil rights have some deep affection and love or sympathy for black people. But that's not the case. The, the, the true mechanism is we're going to ride black people into a new age of society where there is no more race. And in it, you'll actually lose your own history. Again, because history being relative is a key component for tyranny to run amok. And the LGBTQ right now is 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 activating one of the biggest cultural political coups in human history. And, and the coup is 
there is no more black. We're all just omnisexual. Right. And, and, and if we if we proliferate a sexual culture enough, uh, then then it, it, it broadens the tent to where everybody either identifies as omnisexual or they're sympathetic with the omnisexual identity because of familiarity with somebody in their immediate community, family, friends, uh, college, room, whatever the case may be. Uh, so it's, it's just a way to expand identity as a stopgap to expand governance. You've made an argument that I've made the last few weeks that the great replacement actually is the LGBTQ, that that is going to, the black voting base will no longer be important. The LGBTQ voting base, which is rapidly growing, we've seen Bill Maher talk about what, now 20% of these kids are, Generation Z are saying they're gender fluid or, trans or, or bi, or any, anything other than heterosexual. And, and I see it like as a strategy of the left that, because just what you said, like, let's say you're not LGBTQ, but your child is. That's going to make you sympathetic to the LGBTQ movement and think you need to hop on board with that political movement for your child's salvation. Absolutely. Well, and the, the real question is, how can we have a real headcount of who's LGBTQ and who's not at this point? Uh, not only is the identity blown out to a place that makes it hard to, to comprehend or pin down what any of this really means. The other clear uh, signal in the noise is that our education system, all the way down to the elementary level uh, and parents alike, are so indoctrinated with this LGBTQ movement that they're pushing LGBTQism on young people. Uh, so, you know, getting a head count is, is almost impossible. And th this is the point. And, and so, you know, I, I talked about, like you're saying, the replacement theory and, and the people who real, have real historical basis for some grievance and should have that national honor and sacred honor lose it in this in this chaos. The other the other problem with this whole deal is it's a it's a diversion. It's a distraction from real politic. Right. So you have a constant wave of LGBTQ political emphasis. Meanwhile, you, you as a black person, you never ask, well, why are we sending one hundred and sixty billion dollars to the Ukraine or what happened to the six trillion dollars that went to Afghanistan, of which a portion was for us to try and push LGBTQ left politics on the Afghani people. And the Afghani people rejected it because they don't play that. And that's part of the reason why they kicked us out. And when we finally made our exit, uh, we thought that the Afghani uh, military was going to hold the line for our leftist views here in, in America. And the Kurds and everybody in the Taliban just overran them because they didn't believe in it. They actually believed in a more traditional faith based Muslim culture there in Afghanistan. So, uh, again, you know, all of the black were lost in the wilderness. There are real political decisions that are being made right now here in this country in this next 12 months, in this next 24 months, in this next 36 months that will shape the outcome or the, the survival fate of this nation uh, and, and, and the fate of this nation for the people who we voted for as black Americans have no interest in our survival as black people. The, the, the outcome of homosexual intercourse is not to have another black life born. 
And it's it's not ironic. It's not a coincidence that that political worldview is on the side with the same worldview that is ready to riot to retain the right to kill majority black babies. I mean, these are these are the distractions and diversions and info wars that will be the end of of black people in this country if we don't wake up and, and get wise. Your thoughts on Eric Adams and what his political future is. This guy Sell hatched out. his. Sellout. Sinequan think- non quintessential sellout. I can't stand him. I don't know why the people of New York. Uh, well, I, I do know because New York City has become this affluent, yuppie, white liberal place where all of these political misinformations and, and info wars are, are, are deeply rooted. Because, and here's the thing. And I talked about the Afghani culture, and I think this ties to this. Faith-based culture puts the contemplative at the center of your life, okay? This radical materialist culture puts you in a, ra- a, a, a rab- rabid consumer mentality, and it makes it necessary for you to get your politics and worldview with French fries. You have to get it on the go. And there's no symbol of that greater than New York City. New York City is a is a is an ongoing rat race to try and climb that radical materialist ladder. And in that, of course, you're going to pick up the New York Times, which is a complete Marxist newspaper and read whatever it is they tell you. If they tell you that white supremacy is on the move and Steve Bannon is the is the progenitor and Royce White is the new darling and 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 Adams is is your savior. Uh, you, you almost have no choice to believe that unless you have a contemplative faith based lifestyle. And they've eradicated from that because you can't survive in New York City, barely, with a faith-based lifestyle. And that is the real sin of of modern capitalism. And and it has allowed for black sellouts, black bourgeoisie elite sellouts, to to walk around with black skin and pretend like they protect the interests of black people while they sell us out at every turn. The thing I don't like about him is that I think he's perfectly intentionally packaged as he's former cop, he's masculine, he, he, he's like a symbol to other, a dog whistle to other black men to like, hey look, Eric Adams has jumped on board with the whole LGBT movement. It's safe for you to do it as well and it's a thing to do. Look, he's the mayor of New York. I, I think uh, the Democratic Party has plans for him to go beyond New York City. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, people who are great at manipulation and info wars are going to continue to mold and craft the, the, the false idols and props that they put in front of us to appease our, 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 our desire to appease uh, our want for, for familiarity, for trust. Um, this is American. This is where our understanding of Americanism has gone astray. Right. It, in, in, in our in our conditioning to have this radical materialism. We've given away our security. Uh, we've given away our freedom for security and materialism is, is what I meant to say. And, you know, part of it is we want to believe that the people who are in charge know what they're doing and have our best interests so we can continue to jerk off. That, we become a jerk off society. We become a jerk off culture. And, and in jerking, I mean, that's we want to believe that Eric Adams, that that Barack Obama, that Bill Gates, that Dr. Fauci, that the World Health Organization, the World Economic Forum, the World Bank, the list goes on. We want to believe these people are competent, benevolent, empathetic and 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 
good experts, <laughs> uh, yeah, mm-hmm. and experts, so that we can continue to jerk off with 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 without fear, uh, and that's a faithless mentality. Um, and you know, it, my my problem with Adams and, and my problem with all of these black bourgeoisie sellouts is that they understand fully. There are some black people out there, like like people in my family who are just working class, blue collar people that watch CNN and don't really know any better. Um, these people, these few selected individuals, they've been briefed. They, they know what the end game is and they've taken a pay cut or a payout in order to push this agenda. And anytime you take a bag of money and it comes with the unspoken agreement that you don't tell the people the truth, you are a sellout. Uh, Royce, uh, I'm not going to call it your best work because I don't want to disrespect what you've done previously, but this was great work. Uh, (laughs) That was fantastic. Loved it. Thank you so much. Uh, Have a great rest of your day. Uh, I want to tell you guys about uh, Preborn. This is not a commercial. This is not another endorsement. This is life or death. Here at The Blaze, we're building a village of Blaze babies with a goal of rescuing 50,000 babies from abortion. Let me tell you a little bit about Preborn and how they have rescued over 188,000 babies' lives. When a woman, under pressure to abort her baby, meets that baby and hears the precious heartbeat, it's a game changer because 80% of the time she will choose life. Preborn clinics are located in the highest abortion areas in the country, standing strong for mothers in crisis and introducing them to the beautiful life growing inside of them. Would you join us in rescuing preborn babies? It's one of the most important things you can do, helping to preserve these precious lives. One ultrasound is just $28, or you can sponsor five ultrasounds for $140 and save five babies' lives. All gifts are tax deductible. To donate securely, call pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250, keyword baby, or go to preborn.com slash fearless. That's preborn.com slash fearless. Let's do it. Let's save babies' lives. There's a reason I try to get you all wound up with my fire starters, because I want to provoke you to do the right thing. I want to provoke you because I want you sitting there thinking, well, what can I do? How can I help? How can I help? Preborn. That's how you can help. That's how you can be a good, fearless soldier, support organizations like Preborn that are out doing the work that needs to be done to save babies' lives. All right, Shamika Michelle, we're going to continue our conversation about dragged kings and Eric Adams. Next. All right, welcome back. Uh, time for some more Shamoke, Shamoke show, Shamika. Uh, let's roll out to North Carolina and bring in uh, Shamika Michelle. Uh, Shamika, I-, I argued in my fire starter, my mono, that uh, three black lesbians started Black Lives Matter and they married the black community and black voters to the LGBTQ movement. Uh, What say you about uh, Black Lives Matter marrying us to the uh, LGBTQ movement? I I agree with you, uh, Jason, but I feel like they 
did it long before, like you were talking about with Huey P. Newton, and we think about Jesse Jackson and the Rainbow Coalition. I think it's been done for a long time. There's nothing new under the sun. But what bothers me and what kind of stuck out to me in your column were the words dragged king. It actually took my breath away and brought me to tears, literally, because I just began to, I mean, to drag means to pull someone along forcefully. And I thought about how we complain, but I have to ask men, when are you going to stand up? When are you going to be what the Bible said? And that's the head and not the tail. Uh, you know, of course, our history is deeper and greater than slavery. But when I think about black men in America, I have to think about them being dragged uh, by by slavery and that system, dragged by the government in the Jim Crow era and now dragged by women. Royce talked about how feminism has had an effect on especially the black community and black men. That dragged King for me just really hit home. And I have to ask the women a question as well. Where are you? Where are you? Because of course, I'm not saying that black men are incompetent and they need a savior. They've already, they have a savior. I'm not saying that they are helpless because their help cometh from the Lord, but the Lord put something in place, which was women to help. When God looked at Adam, he, he looked at him and said, it's not good that man should be alone. He could have given him a dog because he's omniscient and he's all knowing. He, he knew that one day they would say a dog is a man's best friend, but he didn't. He could have given him a child because he's God and he could have done it in any order that he wanted to do. He could have even given him another Adam and threw a wig on him, threw up his hands and said, my work here is done. But he didn't. He gave him a woman to help. So I have to ask women, where are you? With all of these drag kings, are we helping or are we hindering? What are we doing from the whole house to the White House? Are we in position or are we out of order? And my answer, I think, is that we are all out of order. Let me uh, come at what you just said a, a slightly different way, and because I think we're in agreement. But like to me, what I see from women, and, and in this case, I'm talking specifically black women, but it's like the incentives that a woman offers a man are out of line. And, and because again, because th there's something about a man that, or most men, that that special place between a woman's thighs is, is his greatest incentive, or you know, it competes with nearly God and everything else. And, and, and it's like the incentives to get to that place now are basically to fall in line with the matriarchy, let the woman dominate, let the woman be the leader, uh, feminize yourself, and we will give you access to that very special place. And that's where the incentives are wrong. And it's like a masculine man, uh, a man that wants to be a leader, 
uh, he, he's not getting those incentives. And, and to the point, again, because I just sit here and, and I just ask us black men and just black people in general, and, and again, it's not to denigrate or, or but, but just to ask like, are we in line just biblically with what we say we believe that three lesbian women could start a movement and we all hopped, or all is a strong word, but many of us hopped on board with Black Lives Matter. They didn't lie about who they were and what they were uh, committed to. Lesbians, trained Marxists, they, they, they acknowledged all this. And we just hopped on board? Uh, I mean, we, we just, and so uh, clearly the incentives they're offering men forbid them from getting to that special place that men like to get to. And so, but, but, and I'm looking at us as men. We hopped on board with that. Like, here's three women that say, no, 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 you have no access to whatever it is you're looking for from me. Uh, and we're starting an organization, but we think so little of you and you're so stupid and shallow, you'll, you'll hop on board with the movement we're starting that is actually dragging you away from all of your beliefs and values, mm -hmm. it, it, <clears throat> that's where I question like, hey, w what is it we're doing and, and do we fully understand? And, and, and almost to the point where, uh, you know, I come off as sexist, uh, but, but again, I, I'm just, there's just no part of me that's going to bow to the matriarchy and to, and, and again, it, to, it's not that I have a problem. I've, I've had female bosses who have helped me and have been assets or whatever, but in terms of my core values and allowing them to shape them, no dice. I'm gonna go to the Bible and I'm gonna go to some religious elders uh, and elders by nature of the Bible have to be men. That's gonna be my path moving forward. Uh, anyway, I, I don't even know if I have a question. I'll just let you respond to that. I don't think you're sexist at all, Jason. I think you're absolutely right. You better not bow because to, to obey is better than sacrifice. So you better obey God because we have seen the fruit of what happens when we don't. And you're absolutely right that men are bowing. I saw a post from a woman. She put a picture up of her daughter in a pink tutu and the father was holding the daughter in a pink tutu. And she said, you know, it, it's a great feeling to see my daughter fall in love with the man that I fell in love with. This man is in a pink tutu, but this woman is praising him because to her, this is like love. This is what should happen. Your man is bending over. We talk about buck breaking. You've heard that term for, for years, but you're actually assisting in breaking this man who is supposed to be your protector, who is supposed to be the head, who is supposed to be the leader of your family, who is supposed to be the provider. You're aiding and assisting him in, in being uh, feminine and effeminized in front of the world. It's, 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 it's error, it's wrong, and we see what has happened when men have bowed down to women, and it's time. Again, when are you going to get tired of being dragged? It's, it's, you have to stand up and put your feet flat-footed 
and say no more because it's obvious that women are not going to take their rightful place until men take their rightful place. And you have to just say, it might be good, but you're not good for me if you're not doing what you're supposed to be according to the to the Bible. You're not being to me who you're supposed to be. That's not the right woman for you. If she's not the Eve to your Adam, you need to turn around and run. So Jason, I totally agree with you. Do not bow. So the, the latter part of our column, Mono, gets into how, okay, we're being dragged away from our biblical worldview. We're being dragged away from our religious beliefs, that this marriage to the alphabet mafia separates black people from religious beliefs. And, and that, it's so obvious to me that, that it has done that, this marriage with the LGBTQ and the political left, that you have to abandon all your religious beliefs. But we do it under the pretense of, well, the other political side doesn't like us. And, and I don't think that they don't like us because of our skin color. I believe that the other side doesn't like us for the same reasons I'm objecting to. It's like this culture that you have adopted. I don't want, I don't blame people that say, hey, look, I don't want to live in a neighborhood where all the kids are unsupervised because the single mama ain't got, or the grandmama that's raising them ain't got control. I don't want to live in a neighborhood where everybody's playing music that, ce that celebrates the N-word, celebrates drug use, celebrates uh, crazy, irrational sex, celebrates violence and drug dealing. Uh, again, and I know music is rebellious and there are rock and roll songs that celebrate sex and all that other stuff, but let's don't lie to ourselves. There ain't nothing more debaucherous than hip hop. And, and nothing is more denigrating than, than hip hop. And so I don't blame people for saying, you know, some of this stuff is so over the top satanic, I don't want to be involved with it. And, and the whole abortion issue and things like that, it's like their values and the values that we have chosen to adopt in order to remain loyal to the left makes people be like, I don't want to be bothered. And I'm one of those people, Jason. I don't have an allegiance to my skin color where I'll actually put myself in an uncomfortable position or live a certain way because somebody is the same color as I am. The, the people that are my mother, my sister, my brother are those that actually follow Christ and live a certain way. So it doesn't bother me to actually be, you know, called a, a bigot or whatever, because I don't want to associate with those type of people. And yes, black people have walked away from their religious values, re regardless of what it is, whether it's Christianity, whether it's Islam, they have walked away from their religious values to 
to you know, cater to the left or to to be a part of the left. And the scripture says that you're drawn away by your own lust. So you have to then ask yourself, what's your lust? Is it materialism? Is it power? Is it, you know, wanting to be liked by people instead of pleasing God? What is the lust that is driving, you know, pulling you away from God? Because it's nobody has a gun to your head. You're drawn away by your own lust. So, so what is that? And I think people need to sit and figure that out. If the, if the LG and that's all I'm acknowledging is pulling you away, you're drawn away by that lust. You really better check yourself. Shamika, thank you so much. Great job as always. I'm going to keep you. it moving. Uh, take care of a little business here. Uh, I want to talk about a new sponsor, Nugenics. You know, as I, I was in a conversation this morning, uh, with one of my best friends from high school about uh, the little aches and pains and just how you feel different as you get older. We're now in our mid-50s, firmly uh, a part of this, the older uh, generation. And I'm sure many of you are feeling a little less like your old self. It's not your fault. As men age, our body naturally loses free testosterone, the man hormone. Wouldn't it be nice to get that winner's edge again and that old swagger back in your step? Nugenics Total T Testosterone Booster with Testafin will help you turn back the clock, re-energize your workouts, get you better results at the gym, and help you look and feel like the man you really want to be. Nugenics Total T is the number one selling testosterone booster at GNC. Because Nugenics Total Boost Free Testosterone that the aging process robs of you of, you'll feel stronger, leaner, and more energy and drive and more passion too. Your partner will notice the difference. Nugenics Total Tea can help re-energize your life and help you get back the powerful, confident, good-looking warrior you used to be. Now get a complimentary bottle of Nugenics Total Tea when you text FEARLESS to 231-231. Text now and get a bottle of Nugenics Thermo, their most powerful fat incinerator ever, with key ingredients to help you get back into shape fast. Absolutely free. Text FEARLESS to 231-231. It's free. A bottle is free. Fearless soldiers, all you got to do, text FEARLESS to 231-231. And you get to try this stuff for free. All right, don't go anywhere. Steve Kim, we're going to talk a little Steph Curry. Next. All right, welcome back. Uh, let's lighten things up, talk a little sports uh, with my favorite uh, sports broadcaster, the Korean Cosell. Uh, Steve Kim. Uh, Steve, uh, the Golden State Warriors uh, had their championship parade yesterday. Gives us an excuse to put a bow uh, on the NBA season. Uh, the, the Warriors closed out the Celtics in six games last week. Now everybody has been talking about uh, Steph Curry's legacy now that he has four NBA titles, two MVP awards, and now he's the MVP of the NBA Finals, and there's a whole debate, is Steph Curry now a top 10 NBA player of all time? 
Doesn't crack my top 10, uh, but wanted to have a little talk with you about it. Uh, let's first unveil my top 10 players of all time. Uh, most of it's pretty obvious. Michael Jordan, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, number two. Uh, I got Magic, three. Larry Bird, four. Uh, Bill Russell, five. LeBron James, six. And I know there's a lot of LeBron lovers out there that are mad at me. How can LeBron not be number two? Because he's number six. Uh, Wilt Chamberlain, number seven. Uh, number eight, Moses Malone, probably my most controversial pick for the top ten. Uh, number nine, Tim Duncan. And number ten, uh, Kobe Bryant. Uh, Steph Curry does not make my top ten as of right now. Uh, what say you? I don't necessarily disagree, but there's a caveat to this. This thing is very fluid as it relates to Steph Curry. He might have another championship run or three left in him. I, I've got to give the Golden State Warriors, that organization, a lot of credit. They have seamlessly added components and complementary parts that have really aided this dynastic run, if you want to call it that. And I thought Andrew Wiggins, while not the MVP, was certainly, I think, the second biggest story of this title run because as Clay Thompson kept missing one open jumper after another, it's obviously he's not himself. Andrew Wiggins gave him that ability to play above the rim and at least finish and take it hard to the hole and play above the rim. But with that said, Steph Curry, uh, in my personal list, is just outside, but he's knocking at the door very, very hard. And let's go back one week uh, to Friday, a couple Fridays ago. It looked to me that in game four, Boston was going to really lay the dagger down. They were up by about five points at halftime. It should have been more, but you just got the sense that the Celtics were the younger, stronger, fresher, more athletic team, and Golden State just didn't have enough athletes on the perimeter. They couldn't finish at the hole, and Steph Curry in that second half uh, I think he quieted all the slander. In my view, that's his shining moment in the way the West of the series played out. Even though he was very bad in Game 5, I don't think there's any denying Steph Curry is certainly an all-time great. All right, so uh, let's see your top 10. Uh, I think it's very similar yeah. uh, to mine, uh, Not particularly the first six or seven of, of your choices. You go Jordan, Kareem, Matt, you put Bill Russell ahead of Larry Bird. You got LeBron James at number six. <laughs> then you got Wilt at seven. Uh, then you got Hakeem Olajuwon basically in my Moses Malone slot, then Tim Duncan yeah. and Kobe. So not, not a lot of disagreement there. Uh, but then we went to our second 10, and there's a lot of disagreement here. Uh, with our, but, but hold on, before I get to our second 10, Steph Curry not in either one of our top 10. Do you think, and again, based off your comments, because I, I tend to agree with you, they can get another championship or two or maybe even three. Can you see Steph Curry's legacy and reputation and accomplishments surpassing LeBron James's? I, you know what? I don't think he has the overall floor game. That's the thing. I mean, size matters in basketball. And, and LeBron James, his ability to make other people better, not saying that Steph can't, but I, I'm just telling you, for a better part of a dozen years, LeBron James was the best basketball player on earth. I'm not going to hold his political or social statements against him. He's been 
absolutely brilliant. I mean, think about it. Every organization that he's been to uh, since 2009 has won an NBA title. Now, those come at a cost. But with that being said, I I don't want to be prisoner of the moment. Think about this. If you had to start a team as a GM and the rule was and you get these guys for seven years at their peak value, at their absolute best, who would you take, LeBron or Steph? We have to be we have to be honest with this. I think most of us, at least I would, would take Braun. So basically what you're saying is Steph Curry can go no higher than number seven on your all time list because he's got to mm. stay below LeBron James. That that's he can. His ceiling is seven. Mm. Well, now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. What if he wins two or three titles? Now, now I, I want to have the ability. Like I said, this is very fluid. I'll, I'll say one thing. The one guy he could surpass just by having a much better descent in his career is Kobe Bryant. I had Kobe at 10, Steph at 11. Kobe Bryant's last three years were an absolute dumpster fire. I mean, he basically shot a good batting average. I mean, literally, he shot in the 30%. The Lakers had their worst run as a franchise ever during the last several years of Kobe being Bryant. We have to be honest about this. And nobody wanted to play for that organization and be a part of that mess. We have to be honest about that. I know I'm going to upset the cult of Kobe. But Steph Curry, if he just has, let's say, 80% of the statistics he's had for the last seven, eight years, he absolutely has to be considered among the Mount Rushmore of guards. All right. Uh I want to start with your second 10. Uh, Mm. You've already said who number 11 is, Steph Curry, uh, because I found it, uh, (laughs) I found it fascinating. (laughs) Uh And I just want to add, I I want to add, were you high on crack cocaine when you did this second 10? Oh my God, now you're, oh my God. Now you're calling me Pookie? Moses Malone isn't one of your top 20 players of all time. You know, okay, I love Moses, fo, fo, fo. But at the end of his career, it was like Barry Bonds. He was on a team every year. I, I don't think his career ended up that great. I, I'm going to say this. I deserve 50 lashes for not including Jerry West and Carl Malone. I, I will throw myself under the bus on that. I wasn't high. I was just drowsy. I'm on Pacific time. I just came back from a trip. Give me a break. But – the one guy that's really shaky on anyone's list is Durant. And it's going back to Curry real fast. How bad does KD look? Let, let's go back two, three years. When KD left, I think they lost to the Toronto Raptors. Everyone was injured. And everyone said, oh, my God, now KD's going to be the number one. He's going to lead Brooklyn to great things. And it's over for Golden State. Well, fast forward to 2022. Uh, Kevin Durant's probably on multiple burner accounts sticking up for himself. But Right now, in, in that divorce, um, it is Steph Curry uh, that really upgraded here. Okay, so you were driving while doing your top 20, and that's your excuse for not there. <laughs> well, I was drowsy. I was drowsy. Hadley wakes me up early. Come on. Yeah, I, I could. Your second twenty was like holy cow, or your second ten: <laughs> Steph Curry, Oscar Robinson, Shaq, Julius Irvin, Isaiah Thomas, Charles Barkley is on this list ahead yes. of Carl Malone and Moses Malone. I love Charles Barkley, but come on, man, Moses Malone was a three-time MVP. All right, all right. Let me just stick up for Sir Charles. People forget how good he was. This guy's a six-four, undersized power forward 
who was every year in his prime among the leaders in rebounding. Not only that, he's one of the few guys that could get the ball amongst the big men, rebound on the defensive side of the floor, take the ball up by himself and take it end-to-end like Bobby Orr and throw it down. And then later in his career, extended his game where he could actually shoot three-pointers. Let's not confuse him for the malaise of Philadelphia the last couple of years where he was disinterested. He had a great run with Phoenix, and if it wasn't for a couple of key shots here and there, they could have beat the Bulls. He's one of the most extraordinary basketball specimens that ever existed. Again, a 6-4 power forward that did the things he did. I actually think he's underrated. Steve, if we were putting together a list of NBA players you would want to go watch, Barkley would probably make my top 10, if not top 7. But again, and, and I love Charles Barkley. I could... I consider Charles a friend, but Moses Malone's a three-time MVP. He won an NBA title. Carl uh, Malone, uh, MVP, appeared in two NBA finals. Second all-time leading scorer, I think, right after Kareem. Yes. Uh, does he still have second after LeBron? I don't think it's passed him yet. And so, I, I mean, <laughs> you're... We're going to drug test you if you come out with another list, uh, <laughs> anything like this again. Uh, here's my second 10. Uh, I got uh, Shaq, then Steph Curry, uh, Hakeem Olajuwon, Oscar Robinson, Julius Irvin, Carl Malone, Jerry West, Isaiah Thomas, Kevin Durant, and then Elgin Baylor. And I agree with you. Kevin Durant, I don't know how good I feel about because I think this last uh, Warriors title kind of exposes him a bit. Uh, and and just, I don't know. It, it takes a little shine off his two titles. Uh, he would have been better off just yeah. staying in Golden State and collecting championships. And yeah, and Jason, the other guy, Jason, the other guy that was really uh, difficult for me to leave off because I have an immense amount of respect for him. Uh, his career fell apart late with some foot injuries. But when they talk about all-time power forwards, everyone talks about the mailman and obviously Tim Duncan, maybe Kevin Garnett. But the most fundamentally sound postgame at its peak, it was an absolute textbook, Kevin McHale. And I will say this as a Laker fan that grew up living and dying with that series. It was not Larry Bird who was the toughest matchup for the Lakers. Before they got Michael Thompson at the All-Star break in 87, we had to always line up Kurt Rambis against him, who simply did not have the length. McHale, at his peak, I think is as dominant in the post and he had a myriad of moves, the drop step, the up and under, the fadeaway. He had every single move, and he could do it at an incredibly high level. That's another guy that was a really, really tough omission for me. Mm. All right, let's go to our approval rating on Steph Curry. Mm. Uh, and thank you for the update. LeBron is number two in all-time scoring. He surpassed Carl Malone. Uh, but let's go. We're talking approval rating for uh, Steph Curry. Uh, job performance. Uh, I'm not going to go perfect here, although he was close to per- perfection. How can you do any better than finals MVP? But I'm going to go 24. I'm going to just mark him down a point because, you know, it, it wasn't great in game five. And Andrew Wiggins looked like he was headed to M- uh, finals MVP for a minute there. So I give him a 24 in job performance. 
You know what? I mentioned game five. It's probably the worst game I've ever seen him play because it wasn't even just the fact that he was missing shots. It's also the shot selection. Sometimes there's a heat check where you give a guy a license. That was not the game. But with that said, hey, look, Tony Gwynn went 0 for 4 one time or twice. It happens. I'm going to give him a 25. The guy put up a brilliant series against a really tough defensive squad in the Boston Celtics. Uh, character, uh, I'm going to give him a 19. Uh, you know, he's out there in the Bay Area, so he's a he plays a little bit woke, likes to play that game. Uh, you know, I, I can't – I also marked him down a little a point uh, slightly on character. This will be a very unfair reason, but I did because his parents got divorced. Uh, and and so I think Steph should have done more to keep that marriage together. I love the Sonia and uh, Dale marriage, uh, and so I'm punishing uh, Steph for them getting divorced. So I gave him a 19 in uh, character. Okay, first off, that's a little unfair, but uh, basically the rebounds of both parents have been very interesting, by the way. Uh, but anyway, I give him a 20. I, I like Dale's the- rebound. I got yeah, to do, I like Dale's good. rebound. Yeah, a lot of yeah, people were trying to knock her. Yeah. yeah. He rebounded like prime Moses Malone. There, there's no doubt about it. And look, <laughs> here's the thing. The, the fact that Steph has been able to be the nucleus along with Clay, but he's really the number one guy, and, and then was so gracious in seamlessly putting in Kevin Durant and letting him have like the 1A spot and he be 1B, I thought said a lot and I don't think he's gotten all that political. I mean, that's almost impossible out there in the Bay Area. I'm going to give him a 20. Mm. Uh, so authenticity, uh, I'll give him a 20 here. I think he's as authentic as you can possibly be while working in the Bay Area and working that close to Silicon Valley. Uh, but just based on location and ge- ge- geography, I got to go. Uh, I can't give him a perfect score. So I'll give him a 20. He's about as authentic as you can be in the Bay. There, he's always seemed to be very sincere. I don't think he's yet, ever gotten caught up in a lot of bad situations. He's been a great face for the franchise. Hard to knock him. I should probably go higher on this, but yes, I like you, Jason, I also gave him a 2-0. You know what, Steve? I've noticed a pattern with you. All of your scores every time are in fives. They're all divisible right. by five. You're not a very good math student. You, you don't want to test yourself mathematically. No, I don't. I am, the, like I said, I'm the anti-Asian stereotype. I'm a good driver, bad at math, and I'm also over six feet tall. I'm breaking all the rules here, Whitlock. It's what I do. It's what I do. <laughs> what I do. All right. Uh, it factor, he would probably crack my top 10 players of that I would want to pay money to go see uh, play. He's definitely got it. He's undersized. I can remember I was at those NCAA tournament games where he made a name for himself uh, when he was a star at Davidson. He's had it for a long time. So I gave me 24 uh, in it factor. Well, of course, I'm going to go into visibles uh, uh, increments of five. It's perfect to me. 25. He, he's the most influential player style-wise of anyone I've seen in the past 15 years. Think about it. There used to be a time on a three-on-one break, everything was a transition. You're going to finish at the hole. Because of Steph Curry, and again, not everyone should do this, now you see on transitions, people fanning out to the three-point line. And, and honestly, there are certain coaches and systems that say, hey, look, if you have a Steph Curry, take a three-pointer. We'd rather have that than a dunk. 
Steph Curry has changed the way games are now played with the drive and dish. Everything's a perimeter thing. If you have an open 30-footer and you're good enough to shoot it, which not everyone is, it's a better shot than something that's in the paint, according to the analytics. That's been the influence and the impact of Steph Curry that he has actually changed the game. And with that, of course, I give him a 25. All right, so uh, very easy to do the math on yours. You gave him a 90, you <laughs> got always. him blazing hot. Uh, I've got him an 87, a smoke show. Uh, not quite blazing hot. Uh, Steve, good job, thank you. Uh, we'll see you later this week. I hear tomorrow means we'll see you tomorrow. Just want, I wanna be, I just want